It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the fence side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fence Side here as we approach the NFL draft season. You can follow Paul Pickett and I on Twitter, on Facebook, on iTunes, on YouTube, or on Spreaker. And as we approach the NFL draft, we're going to have a few guests on throughout the process to take a deep dive into the Dolphins' need position. Today, we're going to start with the interior of the Miami Dolphins' offensive line with our special guest, Chris Kaufman. You know him as CK Parrot on Twitter. Follow him for a lot of great Dolphins insights throughout the NFL draft season and beyond. Chris, thanks for joining us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Chris. So it's been a few months since uh, we've had you on, and this is really your your time to shine coming up here with the NFL draft. I know you watch and follow football year-round, but uh, you know we're focusing on the Dolphins' guard position today, uh, a position Paul and I were pretty disappointed wasn't filled in free agency. Now the Dolphins seem to be heading into the NFL draft with Craig Urbic, Jermon Bushrod, and Anthony Steen, and Ted Larson as the four guards battling for two spots. Do you see this being the Dolphins' guard position heading up into week one, or do you see them adding a few players here in the first, second, or third day of the draft? I think the reality is right now that they're going to target a guard pretty high in the draft. Uh, I think their depth chart right now, if they were to line everybody up, uh, would have a hole at one of the guard positions. In fact, it had two holes at the guard positions until they re-signed Jermon Bushrod. Uh, And I think that when you look at it, they think, listen, they have a lot of needs and they have a lot of issues that have happened this offseason and things that they they have to work around. And there's some admission from the Dolphins that, listen, somebody's going to have to step up, whether it be uh, a linebacker that you might not expect or whether it be a Craig Urbic on the offensive line. He's a guy that they're very high on and they think could start. Somebody is going to have to step up somewhere, but I don't necessarily think that's going to translate into ignoring the position on draft weekend. I think that they're going to go ahead. I mean, When I look at Ted Larson, I see a guy who at guard was not very good I don't want to compare him to any of our, our, our kind of whipping boys over the past years, but he wasn't very good. Uh, when I looked at him at center, which goes back to you know years ago, that's when it started to make a lot more sense to me because he actually looked like a pretty good center you know, when he's not misfiring the snap, which he had some issues with at some points, but I think he can get over them. He actually looked like a fairly compelling center. He might be able to fill in for Pouncey you know, when and if Pouncey goes down. But as for guard, right now they're looking at Bushrod, Urbic. That's not enough. They're going to be getting somebody. CK, looking at how this played out in free agency, I know Miami traded away Brandon Albert, kicked Tunzel out to left tackle, and, and I have no doubts about Tunzel at left tackle. But given how this played out, would you have preferred to see Albert stay in Miami and keep Tunzel at guard for an, an additional year and see what they could do maybe next offseason? No, I think that um, this is probably the right move, to be honest. Tunzel, he wasn't, he wasn't achieving all that he could at left guard. I don't think that's what he's meant to play. maybe he could have surprised us a little bit this year and been a lot better uh, than he was last year. 
He was good, but we didn't draft him as high as we did, and he didn't. He wasn't rated as possibly the number one player in the draft to be, you know, just kind of good. So you want to you want to get the most out of him. You want to get him over at left tackle. Brandon Albert, old dog, new tricks. Not sure that he would have been even okay with moving to the inside, especially when he knows that there are teams outside or outside of the Dolphins that would have played him at left tackle, and and that looks like the situation that he's in. So no, no, they couldn't keep Brandon Albert. They had to do something there. But what I would have probably liked to see is is use the money from Brandon Albert and just transfer it right over to the guard position and make sure that you're okay there. They didn't do that, so now they head into the draft. I think that between guard and safety, those are the positions that are striking the biggest need at the moment. And sticking with that, I mean, you look, take a look at what the guards cost in free agency. I mean, Kevin Zeitler, $12 million a year. I mean, even somebody like Ron Leary for the Cowboys, who's always been a very good but not great left guard, talking about $9 million a year. So now if the Dolphins do find a way in the first few rounds of the draft to nail this left guard spot, or actually either guard spot, then pretty cheap labor at that point. So let's dive into a few players. Chris, uh, the first one that jumps out and one that's been in a lot of Dolphins mock drafts, much to the chagrin for a lot of Dolphins fans, is Forrest Lamb from Western Kentucky. Played left tackle there and played very well, I believe, at Senior Bowl week, too. So what do you make of Forrest Lamp? I've seen him projected as high by Todd McShay as the 13th best player in the draft. Well, I think that I would have to agree with Todd McShay in rating him very high. I've, I've looked at this guy since early October, and I've seen him play, and I've seen some of the other offensive linemen play, and I could really only name one offensive lineman set to come up in the upcoming draft that I would take over him, uh, and that was Cam Robinson. And that, that remains true to this day. But uh, I look at Forrest Lamp, and uh, he's just a superb offensive lineman. People compare him to Dallas's players, Zach Martin, but they compare him to uh, to the guy that they took in the first round that moved from at Notre Dame uh, left tackle over to guard. I think he might be better than him. He plays with a lot of balance. I mean, he, he uses his hands really well. I don't see him losing hand battles. I don't even see him struggling. The thing is, when you watch him against Alabama, you know, there are guys that play at small schools and then they go up against Alabama and they know that they've got to have a pretty good game. Some of those guys, they're in for a really tough time. They are finally going against guys that know how to use their hands, that are big and strong. And Corey Levin actually is a guy that's kind of a small school guy who I like, but when he went up against Alabama, you could tell this was this was a big challenge. When Forrest Lamp went up against Alabama, it was the opposite. He made the Alabama players look overrated. Uh, he made Jonathan Allen, he made Tim Williams, he made Deron Payne, Ryan Anderson, Deshaun Hand. All of them looked overrated against Forrest Lamp. And this is because he's got really good balance. He's got good anchor and uh, a nice straight back and uh, his posture. I like the way that he carries himself. And when you get right down to it, it's just the, the technique, the hand use, the anchor, all of those things. He doesn't he doesn't fail on blocks. And so uh, and I told I kept telling people because they were like, eh, he's not going to test very well. He's a small school guy. He's like, no, no, you're going to be surprised. He's going to he's going to blow out the combine because that's what kind of athlete he is. So he's a good athlete and fundamentally sound. And he did really well against the best uh, against some of the best he could have gone against. Everything's checking out here. If you want to take him at 22 overall, that's not a problem with my book at all. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. And looking at that spot, again, if you have Laramie Tunzel and Forrest Lamp on the left side of your line under rookie contracts, when you take a look at the Matt Khalils in the NFL who at left tackle are getting eleven, twelve million a year, and you see Ron Leary getting eight, nine million a year, at that point I say, Yeah, I would take a lineman in the first round, especially one that is fundamentally sound. Six four, three ten, ran a five flat, thirty-four bench reps. Played well against Alabama, played well in senior bowl. Typically when players like this check mark this many boxes, you get a great NFL player. So let's move on to the second and third round, uh, our day two of the draft. Well, actually, before we get to that, CK, is there anybody else for the Dolphins at 22 at that guard spot that you would consider? Well, I would have to consider Cam Robinson just because he's so good. And I don't have him rated uh, or graded or categorized as a uh, as a guard. I think that he's a left tackle. I think that's what he should play at the NFL level. But he could probably also be a right tackle. And at some point, the Dolphins are going to have to make a decision about Jawan James. And there is no indication that they are interested right now in getting him extended and under contract. Are they going to really let Jawan James set the market at right tackles in the NFL? Because that that's a question that they have to answer. So if you're looking at Cam Robinson, you could say, well, I can play him at guard right now and then possibly take him, have him take over for Juwan James when Juwan gets expensive. Now, I'm all for keeping your own players, but you are talking about a right tackle and you are talking about a player in Juwan that's probably going to set the market. So you're going to have to make a decision there. And if Cam Robinson falls that far, I'm not taking him at guard just because because I think that that's where he needs to move. I'm taking him because it's like a Tunsil situation. Watch him up against Miles Garrett. It was a clash of the titans. I mean, he didn't get challenged every single week when he was at Alabama. And so sometimes he was a little bit lax because he wasn't challenged. But in the NFL level, every guy that he goes against is going to be pretty good. So it's going to bring out the best in him, just like Miles Garrett did. So that's one guy that I would consider in the uh, 22 overall. We're going to talk about second second round, though. Yeah, I was going to say in the second round, I've seen a few players get mentioned. Uh, you know, Dan Feeney from from Indiana, Deion Dawkins from Temple, Pat Fline from Ohio State. Curious who you would consider there in, in the second third round of the draft. Well, I think the best guards, when, once you get beyond the tackles that will move into guard, which are Cam Robinson, Forrest Lamp, the best guards are really Dorian Johnson. I've seen him play at Pitt, and he's explosive, strong, agile, very maneuverable. Ultimately, though, when you're looking at him, he's only 300 pounds, and that makes you wonder. What he reminds me of is actually, the player he reminds me of is Chris Chester. And I've been a big fan of Chris Chester, actually going back to his draft. This is how long back I go. But Chester's now had 10-11 year career in the NFL, started you know 150 games or something like that. He's had a, He's had a nice NFL career. He's been a good player, but he's not been a player that you're falling all over yourself to sign Chris Chester. I think that Dorian Johnson actually reminds me of him, but that's not such a bad thing. Dan Feeney is another guy they could consider in the second round, although many don't think he's actually going to be there. He does remind me a little bit of Richie Incognito. He's got functional agility, motor, hustle, uh, good hands. When he does get the advantage, he tends to bury his opponent, which you like to see. That would be a difference between he and like a Taylor Moton of Western Michigan, who would be moving in from right tackle to guard. Taylor Moton has this huge, incredible frame. I don't think I've ever seen guys with the thighs as thick as he has before. He's very well proportioned, though. But, you know, he kind of struggled at the Senior Bowl as a tackle, and you wonder, can he play there in place of Juwan James in the future? But what you see, really see, that kind of bugs you is a lack of a killer instinct. And so you see a guy like Dan Feeney bury a guy when he gets the advantage, and then you see Taylor Moton 
you know, uh, it's not quite there. I think that in the second round, you're looking at those guys. You're looking at Dorian and Dan Feeney, possibly Taylor Moton, just because the frame is so big. But one guy I got to give you for the second round, even as as high up as the second round, is Michigan Ben Braden. This is a guy that was uh, a tackle for Michigan in 2015. He played right tackle, and most of the games in 2016, he played left tackle. Now, part of the reason that he's not as well followed and not as well rated is because at tackle, at right tackle, left tackle, he's just, you know, sort of okay. He's he's pretty good. He's not a standout. He's not one of those guys that you're going to be looking to draft in the first, second round. Now, the thing is, he moved into left guard during the 2016 season for about five games or so. And you look at that left guard tape, just look at that, and it's it's really incredible. It's a revelation. Uh, this guy is six foot six, a full six foot six, and 330 pounds. He was called by Taylor Luan, you know, a couple of years back. He said that this is the most physically gifted guy that he's ever seen at any level. Uh, he used to play. He used to play left wing in, in hockey, and you know, scored 28 goals. I mean, at six foot six and 300 and you know, 30 pounds, something like that. He ran a 5.04. His 10 yard split was a standout. You know, top 15th percentile type standout time. He he does well in the in, does pretty well in the jumps, and uh, you look at him on tape and you just see that explosion everywhere. What he is is a rare combination because what you see when you when you get him on tape is he can drive block people and really bury them and and I'm talking about getting movement, movement on defensive tackles because he's got that kind of power and uh and heft at 330 pounds with that kind of frame. But the other thing he does, he gets out into space and when you get him on the pole, he runs. He doesn't, you know, he's not out there galumphing, you know, or anything like that. He he runs like an athlete. He doesn't uh ta- take those hop steps that you see when you have to when you have to go out in the pole. He he hunts for defensive backs and he get and he catches them. The guy has a great potential because of his ability to drive block and then turn around and run and get out into space. And let's put it let's put it this way. You got him with his six foot six frame and the wingspan that goes with it. I think it's like six foot nine or six foot ten wingspan. You got him out space in the second level among the linebackers and he can get out there because he can run like that. That's like trying to run around a billboard. I mean, it's it's very disruptive to the to the defensive flow when you get him out into uh, space in the second level as a zone blocker. So I think that he could be. I mean, we're we're going down a few years down the road, and you're telling me Ben Braden ended up being the best guard in this draft or in this uh, in this class. I am not at all surprised. I would target him in the second round. Or, you know, if if you don't get him in the second round, he might be there at number 97 overall in the third round. I would feel lucky if he did, if he did make it that far, though. So a few other players, too. You know, we, we've talked about Taylor Motown. It really might, reminds me of John Jerry a little bit, uh, kicking inside the guard where he has that big frame. But there seems to be just a little bit something missing, and you're not quite sure if he can play right tackle, too. But a few other players here, Deion Dawkins from Temple, too. Uh, Danny Isadora from Miami, Nico Saragusa from uh, uh, San Diego State, and uh, Pat Effline from uh, Ohio State, too. Is there anybody else here? With the Dolphins, they have three fifth-round picks. Is there anybody that jumps off the page at you that the Dolphins should consider if they do go best player available in the first three rounds? Well, if we're getting down to the fifth round, uh, yeah, actually, there are some guys that they should be looking at down there. The first one that they should probably be looking at is Aviante Collins, just because the, the better players will probably be off the board. 
And I do have to say about this class, the way it works out is, you know, I have a number of guys that I like at the guard position that I think can play, that I think can start. And then there's there seems to be a pretty big drop-off, guys that I'm really not sure about, yet the market wants me to pay up for them. I'm not so sure about those guys. Uh, you know, I'm, now I am talking about guys like Deion Dawkins and Danny Isadora. Really, if, if I'm not getting one of those guys that I'm pretty comfortable with at the top, then I'm probably holding off until I start rolling the dice on uh, developmental players. And first among those developmental players is probably Aviante Collins of TCU. Uh, now, admittedly, I, I started looking at him because he tested incredibly well at the combine, uh, and so you're like, oh well, I guess I'd better I'd better look at your tape. And what I found is a player that has a great combination of mobility and strength, upper body strength, and this that's what he showed at the combine. I show I look at him on tape, I see that he has the ability to get out on his kick step and really wash uh, edge rushers, you know, out wide, but you know, looking at him against bigger bodies, I looked at him against Charles Walker of Oklahoma as an underrated defensive tackle, for instance. I mean, he, he holds his own easily because he's got very good upper body strength. Now, he's not a high pass block efficiency guy. If you're looking at the high resolution metrics and pro football focus and stuff like that, he wasn't all that good in those measures. And I think that that's because of a lot of technique issues that he had at TCU. He needs to understand better uh, as a as a tackle if he's going to play that position when he gets into his kick step. You know, he has this mobility advantage. He has this uh, these feet. Uh, he doesn't have. He has to protect the inside post leg first and foremost, and then once the defensive end kind of declares himself with an outside rush, he can wash him out with his mobility, with his feet. You know, as he can get after it. So, but he's got to protect the inside first. That was the sin that he committed a lot of times at TCU was, you know, getting a little bit too far wide and then and then opening up that inside shoulder. I think that I would look at him as a possible guard prospect. He has a lot of potential and because of the combination of mobility, upper body strength. And I, other guys that I looked at, I've already mentioned Corey Levin. He's a very, very, very maneuverable player with a great frame. Uh, what he doesn't have is a lot of power, and that's when you see, um, when you see a, a strength program at the next level has to really come into it and work him over. Uh, another guy that I would look at is Jonathan McLaughlin of Virginia Tech. When I looked at him, I see him as possibly his own specialist at guard. He stood out to me in Shrine practices. As I was at the Shrine practices again, as always this year, and he was there. And he was probably the most impressive overall offensive lineman to me, which isn't saying a whole lot because they all kind of sucked. But uh, But he was a pretty good lineman there. His tape does check out. Uh, he had he did have a high pass block efficiency at Virginia Tech. He did do it well there, and so I would think about moving him inside where he could be his own specialist. And then finally, there's Zach Johnson. This is a guy that played at North Dakota State. Uh, he's huge. Uh, he's as somebody told me, uh, hold my tractor strong. That's that's the kind of player he is. And then he and then he surprises you by getting out in the move and really and really doing well that way. He was also at the Shrine practices, but he his week ended pretty early. That's why I didn't say that he's he was the best. His week ended pretty early because he took uh, he took an injury, and he does have that injury overhanging him now. So um, so he's probably not going to get drafted because of that. But you know he is a very strong player with great anchor, and he pulverized people at his level 
of uh, of competition. And then when he played against the the higher levels, he did all right there too. And then he he stood out uh, at the Shrine game. So I'd look at him. Chris Kaufman joining us. You can follow him on Twitter, CK Parrot, and he's going to be joining us hopefully. Uh, once at least once a week to talk about the Dolphins' need positions as we head up into the NFL draft. Chris, you, uh, thank you very much for joining us here today, and uh, we'll be sure to check in really on the Dolphins' defensive side of the ball over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm glad that you guys had me on. I look forward to next time. Sounds great. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fifth side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fifth side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fifth left. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian, Cat, and Paul about to do again. We rep our team, you can't change, stop, or ruin it. All we need is to figure what to do to win. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save 